educating, informing, entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. And welcome aboard to the Tuesday edition. Uh, we're so delighted you chose to tune us in on snow day number two. If you're keeping track, uh, uh, the kids got uh, another day off. Boy, uh, talk about a nice extended holiday break from school. Uh, I suspect parents are ready for uh, the kiddos to be back in school. So, uh, but I, uh, hey, kids, tomorrow's your day. <laughs> like it or not, I don't think you can avoid it. Uh, but it is Tuesday, January 9th, 509 in the afternoon. Coming up in just a moment, we'll get an update uh, on the latest road conditions and uh, the street, uh, the snow removal from uh, Mayor Lyrian Gaylord Baird will join us. Uh, scheduled here in a few moments so uh, uh, hang on for that our monthly check-in with the mayor we're delighted to uh, always chat with her uh, once a month and uh, yeah no shouting no grandstanding let's build up instead of tear down shall we Uh, truth over tribalism principles over partisanship and uh, yeah and uh, follow us on the twitter uh, or excuse me, X, uh, and the Facebook pages. You can find out in the afternoon uh, who our guests are coming up. And uh, But say hello to Mr. Johnny Cadillac, producer extraordinaire. Johnny, how's your snow day? You didn't probably get a snow day. No, when I uh, work from home for my other job, I, a snow day is something I do not get an experience. It's just work with snow on the ground, and I don't have to go anywhere, at least. Boy, the last two days at uh, Fuse Coworking were pretty... Uh, pretty slim there's not a lot of people uh, showing up uh, so yeah i think a lot of people working from home uh, unless you work for the state of nebraska there's no st- there's no working from home uh, governor pillen wants everybody in their desk at their seats so uh, anyway i think there's uh, still some litigation going on about that but uh, yes so uh, snow day number two the streets seem to be in pretty good condition and um yeah, we we it could have been a lot worse. Let me tell you, we we left uh, yesterday thinking that uh, we could have additional snow, and we got a little bit more. And but now we're in the uh, ice box. My goodness, uh, the the forecast uh, looking into the weekend, we're not going to get uh, above freezing there for a couple. Or above freezing, we're not going to get above zero uh, for a couple days. So anyway, well, it is my delight to welcome onto our phone lines Mayor Leary and Gaylord. Bear, Mayor, thank you for for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's great to be with you. Yeah, we missed you over we missed you over the holidays, but I deeply appreciate as busy as your schedule is checking in with us once a month here for our listeners to hear from you. So, uh, well, I was just commenting before you came on. We kind of dodged a bullet yesterday uh, with this weather once again. So, but it still was a mess out there, and uh, so kudos to uh, to the uh, uh, to your team and getting things uh, look like pretty much back to normal. Yeah, we have so many dedicated snow fighters on our team. I'm so proud of them. In fact, I was just out at the Municipal Services Center thanking them during the shift change because many of them have been working around the clock on the plows and actually also helping to repair the equipment as it comes in after long duty. And it's, um, it's, it's pretty remarkable the hours they're putting in to try to make sure the roads are safe for the traveling public. So. I just think most of us have absolutely no idea how difficult and complex uh, of a of a 
project that is every time we have a snowstorm. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so kudos yeah. to the team for getting getting the streets uh, look like uh, almost back to normal. Right. I mean, when you think about just the distances they cover because they're trying to hit every street, that's like 2,600 lane miles. You could drive from Lincoln to New York and back. That's how many lane miles they are scooping wow. to try to, you know, take care of us. And, it's, uh, and you know, they did this on Christmas, too, if you remember the snow on Christmas. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're so grateful to the 165 snow fighters <laughs> that have contributed to this effort so far. And, um, you know, they do a lot of prep work all year long for this moment to be ready. We, you know, keep our supplies stocked. We've got our our people in place, and you know, between brine and salt and the investment we've made in these super combo plows that can do it all, it's a really magnificent operation, and we're, we are really grateful to to their effort around the clock. Well, and uh, I've I've not had this conversation with you, but I've had it with others. I mean, I, I think it can be one of the most focused. Uh, uh, energy from uh, from the public uh, opinion on uh, school closings and snow removal, and so I my heart goes out to all of uh, everyone in public office and the school system that uh, is trying to please everyone. Uh, it's 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 a tough tough job, Mayor. Yeah, I had a child in my household asking for snow days. I'm like, that's above my pay grade. I am not. In charge of that. Um, and there's a lot of happiness. I think you could hear a collective cheer for all the kids who got an extended winter vacation. But um, And the cheers from the parents that tomorrow finally is the end of, of, of holiday break. Exactly. Oh, uh, well, yeah. But that's, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of the joy of living uh, in Nebraska. Yeah, I missed uh, both the Thanksgiving and the Christmas uh, snow because I was out of town. So I finally got a taste of Nebraska winter here the last yeah. couple days. So, yeah. well, I would just ask the public to continue to be mindful of the plows. You know, we have the we the winter ops team is always saying respect the plow. You know, we it's want to be really careful when you're on the roads next to them. Give them space um, to do their job and to uh, be careful as the roads are still slick when it gets colder at night. And um, if you can move your cars to the odd number sides of the street, they're asking for that because that allows them to clear the residential streets. Uh, more efficiently and quickly and effectively. And that's, we all want that, right? We want the, the residential streets to be clear. So moving cars to the odd numbered side of the street, if they haven't already, that's a big help to our our cruise. Yeah, and it's it's those little things like that that really make a difference for everybody else. So yeah, let's think of our neighbors and uh, think of other people that are trying to to do their jobs to to make it easier. Uh before we go to a quick break here mayor, give us an update. I know uh the uh, uh the uh Snow Angels program is is such a popular and needed uh program in the city. Any update on how uh, things went or are you still I assume still taking volunteers? We would love more volunteers. We we want to have as many um, on tap as possible because this is such an important program to help those who need assistance shoveling their driveways or snow blowing their sidewalks. This is something that is just a wonderful gift that you can give to your neighbors if you sign up to be a part of our Snow Angels program. And while we do have a lot of regulars, uh, we, we're trying to get those numbers up because we know how helpful it is during these cold, snowy days. 
Oh, it is. I mean, uh, yeah, being able to give a, a helping hand to your neighbor is, yeah, it just, it, it warms the heart on a cold day for mm-hmm. sure. So that's, that's such a great program. Um, well, and people, they can sign up if they go to, um, the winter operations web page, uh, at lincoln.ne.gov and you can just type in snow angels and it'll pop right up and you can, you can sign up to volunteer. You can also sign up if you need help, if you want to find a volunteer. So encourage folks to check that out if they need help. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, we're just getting started. There's, unfortunately, uh, plenty of uh, of winter left. But as wet as it was yesterday, hopefully uh, we got some moisture that we desperately needed. So Right. And the sunshine today was helpful in our effort, too. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because, boy, the weekend looks uh, mighty chilly. So. Well, Mayor, if you can hang on, let's take this little break, and I want to uh, chat a little bit about the heat pump uh, pilot program incentive that you've got going on. It kind of goes in, uh, along with our weather. Uh, so, uh, so folks, hang on. Uh, we'll be right back after these quick messages with Mayor Lyrian. Come on back. You're listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back to the Tuesday edition. Uh, remember, if you miss anything, you can always catch us on your favorite podcast platform anytime you like, or just go to klin.com, scroll down on the Dan Parsons page, find the episode you're looking for. Uh, we appreciate that very much. Well, we're joined, as we are every month, by Mayor Lyrian and uh, taking time out of the busy uh, snow removal uh, process. Us uh, here for the city and joining us, and so Mayor, appreciate it very much. Absolutely, my pleasure to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, <clears throat> this did catch my uh, attention over the holidays. Uh, uh, I think I was out of town uh, when you announced this, but uh, the city announced recently a pilot incentive. <clears throat> excuse me for heat pump purchases. A uh, new incentive offered by the city of Lincoln uh, toward the purchase and installation of residential heat pumps, uh, which will help residents not only save money and increase their home heating and cooling efficiencies, but it's uh, also designed for um, uh, any income level. So talk a little bit about that, Mayor, of of that program, if you could. Absolutely. We're really thrilled to be able to offer this incentive because heat pumps are now setting the performance standard, and they are uh, basically an appliance that can both heat and cool a home, and they can help save money because they're very energy efficient. They bring down your energy costs. They're also really helpful in contributing to indoor air quality, so they're good for our health, and they help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So they're good Mm -hmm. for our community, both in terms of sustainability, health and well-being. And affordability. So this is this is ticking a lot of boxes for us. Yeah. Uh, and the city council led the charge in our last budget cycle with particular leadership from Councilman Benny Shove to create a, a funding pool for this incentive program to help buy down the costs of of the initial install. And so um, this is something that it can be a thousand dollar incentive. It can be packaged with. LES's Sustainable Energy Program incentives of 800, so it can be combined to to really make a dent in the cost of a heat pump. Uh, for low and moderate income residents, we offer $3,000 incentives to eligible folks who own homes, and they can uh, work with our urban development team to, to secure those funds. So this is really a wonderful way to help improve the quality of our 
existing housing in our community and, and reducing carbon emissions and, and offering our residents an affordable way to do so. Yeah, and saving a little money. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a great thing. How can people find out more about it, Mayor? Yeah, they can, again, go to our website, lincoln.ne.gov slash heat pump. Uh, LES's website also has information about that. So you'll be able to, you know, navigate to where you can get the incentive based on your eligibility. And this is sort of a first come first serve program. It's a pilot. So um, the funds will be available, we anticipate, you know, through August, but potentially they will be gone before then if, if we get great uptake on this. And again, we're, we're excited to see how this goes with the, with the community. Very good. Um, any, uh, as we move forward uh, to the new year here, uh, uh, any legislative uh, issues uh, with, uh, uh, with the legislature that your, your team is watching? Absolutely. We, we keep a, a close watch on what's happening over in the Capitol building. We're looking at the new bills that are being introduced and working closely with our Lincoln delegation of state senators. We, you know, have a role to play for, to advocate for our community, advocate for city uh, priorities and work together. And, and so we're, we're excited about things we've been able to get done in the last session uh, on water infrastructure. And looking ahead, we're really focused on public safety um, advocating for our first responders, affordable housing, and protecting local control. Uh, that's really a top priority for us at the city. Well, yes, because uh, there's a lot of uh, talk about uh, property tax uh, reform, uh, and uh, which is a perennial uh, issue uh, with any elected official. I don't care what you're running for in this state. Uh, you get that question all the time, and there seems to be some fairly controversial uh, uh, ideas that are being floated around the legislature about how we can do that. And, of course, uh, uh, mm-hmm. part of that challenge is, and it puts that burden back on the local communities. And yeah. uh, so... Well, and, and you know, our... Um we run, rank sixth in the nation as the best-run city, and mm-hmm. part of that ranking is dependent on the fact that we are very lean and fiscally responsible and deliver high-quality services. And as uh, maybe not everyone knows, the bulk of your property tax bill actually supports public schools. Yep. Uh, so we get 16 cents of every dollar, and we, we make it work for the public. Um, so we, we want to make sure that we can continue to deliver on our top priority, which is public safety. Uh, over half of our tax-funded budget supports our public safety operations, police, fire, 911 services. So um, we're trying to make sure that people understand over there what the impacts are of, of potential changes and so that they can make informed decisions um, because, of course, they don't run cities. Right. Yes. Well, and I've heard this from from our uh, legislative delegation. Uh, by the way, I'm having uh, Senator Carol Bozen on uh, tomorrow, a Lincoln State Senator, uh, on the show. But um, uh, I've heard many, many times uh, from all of our Lincoln delegation of just how uh, well they're working together. They showed that last year, even though it was an acrimonious uh, legislative session, they still uh, set apart, set aside any party differences, any uh, cultural differences, and and uh, work together uh, to advance uh, p- 
priority legislation that helps our city. So uh, it's just heartening for, you know, that's one of my themes, as you know, Mayor, of I don't care which political party, what letter is behind your name, uh, let's set aside differences and work together. And they've, they continue to do that. So uh, I appreciate well, we're that. really grateful for the work that we did with our, our Lincoln senators to advocate for the Lincoln Water Systems yeah. Water 2.0 project. And uh, Senator Anna Wishart and Senator Elliot Bostar in mm-hmm. particular were um, leaders of that effort to secure some of the federal funds and direct them to our our effort to secure a second water source for our community. And we're really, that was a, that was a huge victory for our community. And, and again, that that was a collaborative effort. We're really, really pleased with, with what we were able to secure last session. Well, and that's leadership. I mean, that's that's one of those issues. We're looking down the road many, many years, but uh, uh, that's that's good leadership on your team's part and the legislators mm-hmm. as well to look uh, ahead of where we're going to get our water in the future. Yeah. And so that's uh, been ad- yeah. identified as the Missouri yeah. River. And, uh, and and that's why, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure we can support the growth of our community. Yes. That's also why we advocate for local control. We need to be able to make the investments and secure the resources that that support our city's growth and that allow us to continue to serve Lincoln really efficiently. Uh, so we'll, we'll continue to, to raise up the priorities of this community and work with the delegation. We're trying to be optimistic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then the other issue, and I know, you know, I've talked about this before, as I have with other uh, guests, uh, the uh, proposed uh, Lincoln Convention Center. And again, uh, our uh, uh, State House delegation um, made sure that uh, there was funding uh, available, mechanisms available to uh, to do that. So that's an exciting project in the years to come in this city. Yeah, that could really be a game changer for our community. So we're we're eager to uh, see how that unfolds in this session. Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, uh, any uh, any personal, uh, you know, I don't like to call them uh, New Year's resolutions, but uh, we had some uh, a guest on. We were talking Friday with Chef Kevin, and and he says uh, he said, well, we had somebody call in, and uh, they just had a word uh, for the year that they were going to focus on. So any any personal uh, revelations that you want to share with uh, our listeners, uh, Mayor, on <laughs> what your resolutions are? What what are you looking forward to in the new year uh uh in your household or uh well you know as my kids get older and go off to college and as you know family members sprinkled across different states um trying to be intentional about making time to 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 be with folks uh if not in person then on the phone regularly that quality time with family is a top priority and i you know other than that i mean you know i'm i'll i'll I'm lifting weights a couple times a week. There you go. I'm trying to get, you know, getting uh, stronger and and live well into, you know, the next decade. That's right. That's right. Good for you. Yeah. As as, uh, us old people tell you, uh, the the kids are out of the house. Uh, Yeah, these these days are fleeting. And so, uh, yep, transitioning into that next uh, season is uh, is interesting. So What's that saying? The days are long, but the years are short. Yeah. 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 So true. Mayor, thank you so much. Thank you for the work you do. Thanks for getting our streets cleaned up and the the work that LTU does, and appreciate it very much. Well, thank you, and thanks to all the folks who are part of that effort. We're really proud of our snow fighters, and and thank you for the opportunity to to visit tonight. You you bet, Mayor. We'll talk to you again next month. 
Okay, take care. Have a great evening. Folks, uh, hang on. When we come back, uh, Dean Richard Moberly from the UNL School of Law will be here. Uh, but enjoy the news. We'll be right back after this on 1499.3 KLIN. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Educating, informing, entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, welcome back. We're delighted you chose to uh, tune us in here on a, a delightful, cold, snowy Tuesday afternoon in the capital city. Uh, my thanks to Mayor Lyrian uh, for joining us, as she always does uh, each month. Uh, and remember, if you miss anything, you can always uh, find us on your favorite podcast platform or just go to klin.com. Uh, let me show you, uh, tell you, <laughs> I could show you too, but it'd be easier on radio to tell you. Uh, as I mentioned in the last segment, uh, uh, tomorrow, State Senator Carol Bozen uh, is going to join us, a Lincoln State Senator. Uh, Senator Bozen was uh, appointed to the legislature after uh, Senator Hilgers uh, was elected as Attorney General, and so uh, Carolyn uh, Bozen will join us on tomorrow's show. Uh, well, it is my delight to welcome back into the studio Mr. Richard Moberly, Dean of your University of Nebraska School of Law. Richard, welcome. Thanks, Dan. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Johnny. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate you being here. And yeah, yeah. The work you do. Thanks yeah. for having me on. Well, I appreciate it very much. So, uh, so did you get some extra time away from uh, the college uh, today? You know, the university has what it calls its shutdown, uh, basically between Christmas and New Year's, and uh, I, I tried to take some time away from that to recharge and get Good re-energized for, for the coming year. Good for you. Yeah. Um, well, let's get right into uh, this because we got quite a bit to cover here. And um, as our listeners know, I appreciate so much, uh, Richard, you coming in and giving us uh, just the legal perspective on what's going on with former President Trump and his legal uh, uh, trials and tribulations, as you will, uh, for federal. Are four cases uh, that are still going on, and uh, one of those uh, has to deal with um, uh, the president was in the court of appeals, uh, and the president, former president himself, uh, was in court today uh, when the Washington D.C. Court of Appeals heard arguments over his efforts to dismiss his federal election interference case based on his claim of presidential immunity. So help our listeners a little bit, Richard, of sure. of what went on in, in that case. Sure. And just to be clear on which case this, uh, out of which this arose, it's the, as you mentioned, the one in D.C. on the January 6th, I guess is probably the short Correct. shorthand for yep. it, the charges that uh, relate to January 6th, federal prosecution. So um, in federal district court, um, former President Trump made this argument and the district judge rejected it uh, and then put the case on hold to allow President Trump to appeal to this 
Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Right. Um, and uh, the arguments today, you know, I, th- I think the Court of Appeals was, I think most commentators have said, were relatively skeptical mm-hmm. of this argument related to immunity. And um, this was a pretty broad claim that the uh, former president was making that um, no president could be prosecuted for any action, for anything that took place during the time uh, that they were president, uh, official or personal, I think, is as broad as the claim went. Yeah. And and so if uh, so, yeah, the whole case uh, uh, swings on this uh, appeal. And and I assume most people think no matter what the appeals court uh, says, this will go to the Supreme Court. I think it will. I think it will. And this is Un, uh, unprecedented type of argument, that, Again, or at least yeah. it has been made made it to this level. Um, various types of immunity have been discussed by the Supreme Court over time. Um, they have determined that presidents cannot be civilly liable for right. judgments um, for actions that official actions they take as president. Um, that was a, a case involving President Nixon. Um, they have said that the president can be liable for personal things that happen, um, and so uh, that was the Paula Jones, Bill Clinton okay. case. Okay. Yes. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the Department of Justice has had kind of an ongoing policy of not allowing criminal prosecution of a sitting president, and so this is now taking. Uh, and and then presidents have been subject to subpoenas in criminal cases. So the Nixon Watergate tapes would be the example from that right so they he had to give up those tapes which then led to his resignation Mm -hmm. but this kind of claim of this broad-based presidential immunity from criminal liability for potentially criminal actions that were taken as president uh, has really never been argued before well i found fascinating i think johnny's got a clip here we can play uh we don't have cameras in the federal courtrooms but we do have audio and so at one point judge florence pan uh presented uh mr trump's lawyer uh with a hypothetical situation and so johnny if you could play that clip we'll get uh dean moberly's uh, comments uh, after you play it could a president order seal team six to assassinate a political rival that's an official act in order to seal Team Six. He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal but prosecution. But if he weren't, there would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that. Chief Justice's opinion in Marbury against Madison and uh, uh, and our Constitution tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not. I asked a, you a yes or yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so your answer is, is, no. is My answer is qualified, yes. I mean, I'm, we all... I- Help us through that, Richard. So I I love the judge said, look, I'm just looking for a yes or no answer here because uh, Mr. Trump's uh, uh, attorney, let's see, it's uh, Mr. Sauer. I don't Sauer. I don't know his first name, but uh, there's a little bit of legal mumbo jumbo going on there. And the the judge uh, interjected and said, look, just answer yes or no. This gets to the argument from President Trump that the impeachment clause is really a prerequisite to holding any president criminally liable. 
liable um, because the impeachment clause of the Constitution says that if one is impeached, they may still be held criminally liable. And so President Trump's team has read kind of the inverse of that to be implied that they can only be criminal liable if they are impeached. Now, I think most scholars who've looked at that don't find that argument to have much weight. Uh, and that's what the judge was getting at in this case. And his answer was, well, only if uh, they've been impeached uh, and convicted as under impeachment would they then be criminally liable. And, you know, there's all sorts of scenarios that will play out from this hypothetical. They could resign before the impeachment. Um, right. Right. They could not right. have the political, there cannot be the political will to impeach because it takes two-thirds of both the House and the Senate to do that. And so there'd be all sorts of ways that a president, if that were true, um, could commit pretty heinous acts and then not be criminally liable. And I, I think that was kind of a brilliant hypothetical from the judge because that became kind of the resounding soundbite of this hearing today, and you, you played it appropriately. But it, this case, I think, will come down to kind of which hypothetical is more scary. Um, so that's the one that, of course, Jack Smith and his team will rely upon. Um, and then the, the hypothetical from President Trump's team is, well, this will unleash kind of a torrent of political tit-for-tat going forward, and you can expect that president, every president will then be prosecuted by the next president. Of course, we've had a long history of that not happening until yes. now. <laughs> yes. um, but they painted examples of, you know, could President Trump have been uh, criminally prosecuted for, quote-unquote, lying uh, about the weapons of mass destruction? Could uh, President Obama have been criminally prosecuted for drone attacks? And, you know, so they kind of paint this picture of, so, you know, I think it's a fair question to ask which of these are, are most scary for us as we think about the political realities and the legal realities of this situation. That's fascinating. So uh, I, I know, and again, political com legal commentators have suggested uh, throughout all of these uh, trials uh, that the president, the former president is dealing with, the strategy is just delay, 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 so that uh, none of these things are resolved uh, before we start voting or even before the election in November. And uh, under that scenario, then the president uh, if if Mr. Trump wins the White House again, that he can just do away with with all of it. So, in this case specifically, is this still the case, Richard, that has the possibility of actually going to trial before the November election? I, I think so. It depends on how quickly the Court of Appeals rules on this issue, and then it will get appealed, and how quickly the Supreme Court rules on that on that issue. Um, you know, it could go back and they could try the case without ruling on the immunity and it could they could reserve that for appeal uh, on up to the uh, Supreme okay. Court if they wanted. Um, the district court judge did not feel that um, that that she could do that and so wanted the appellate court to weigh in. You know, the appellate court could say we're not going to put it on hold while the Supreme Court decides it. You should go forward with your prosecution. Um, the Supreme Court could also say we're going to put this on hold while we decide this um, first issue case, first issue. Because according to my notes, <clears throat> the January 6th case, the case we're talking about, the trial date has been set for March. It would be very fast um, if, you know, even if this court decides this in the next several weeks, then you would need several more weeks of briefing. I mean, we're really looking at the end of February at the very earliest, and that would be phenomenally fast yeah, okay. for the Supreme Court to be able to weigh in on this. But there is precedent. I mean, uh, during the Nixon uh, situation, the Supreme Court acted 
very quickly, as I recall. Yeah, that's true. They do. They can move quickly on these sort of political issues, and we, we've, we've seen that in the 14th Amendment case from Colorado yes. that we'll talk about after the break, mm-hmm. I understand. Um, and so they can move quickly, but even if they're done at the end of February, you know, the, the district court judge has put all of the other pre-trial issues on hold while this was being uh, litigated. So even if we came back at the end of February, I don't think that March deadline, that March trial date will hold. Because, <laughs> and we're not, we don't get into the political stuff with Richard, but uh, we're going to do that next week. Because uh, uh, next week, uh, Monday, I believe, is the Iowa caucuses. So people are going to start voting next week for the next president of the United States. And uh, so, my goodness. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's just amazing to me to consider the unprecedented times that we're in. Um, so, anyway, uh, we'll get into the political stuff next week. Uh, Ryan Horn, our resident uh, political consultant, is going to come on after the uh, Iowa caucus uh, uh, next Tuesday, a week from today. So, anyway, Richard, hang on. Yeah, look, when we come back, let's talk about this other case uh, that's going to expected to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, but we'll take this little break and come right on back uh, with Dean Richard Moberly. Come on back. You're listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Hey, uh, the conversations between breaks are, I think, as valuable as the ones on on air. So anyway, Richard and I are having a, you know, and, and so anyway, we're visiting with Richard Moberly, Dean of the University of Nebraska School of Law. And I deeply appreciate, uh, you know, I've, I've told you before, I think in a different life, I wanted to be an attorney. And so uh, anyway, I, I just think it's not so, too late, Dan. It's never too late. Uh, well, I, I, I think that ship may have sailed. But, <laughs> uh, but I can live vicariously through my friends who are attorneys and and deans of law school to uh, to feed that little uh, itch that I have. So uh, so anyway, I, I just the reason that I really appreciate you coming on, Richard, is is to help our listeners understand because none of us, a few of us, uh, have that legal background and training to understand what's going on, and it's such an unprecedented time. But you made the comment on break that. Uh, you know, that no one's above the law. And, you know, it's easy. We say it. We hear commentators say it flippantly all the time. But but maybe camp on that for a second, Richard, and just uh, give us your views and thoughts on, on that concept. Sure. Well, that, that what we were talking about was these cases really raise this tension between our foundation of law and the ability of political majorities to influence that, right? And so there's this tension between politics and law, which seems pretty obvious, but I think that's what these cases will come down to. Um, And some of our first principles of the idea that no one should be above the law, so no matter what one thinks about what President Trump Mm -hmm. did or didn't do or what the legal ramifications for that will be, I think it will be a a hard pill for the Supreme Court to say um, that someone should be just automatically immune for anything that happens, right? I think one of the the judges said it was a bit paradoxical to say that someone could, uh, you know, try and influence the the election or or pursue his his, uh, official duties under, to make the election more reliable, but by doing illegal 
facts, yeah. right? It seems paradoxical. And I think the Supreme Court will ultimately come down to that um, to say that he's not immune. And, and, and really, that is kind of the first principle here of, of what the, the Constitution is built upon. Uh, the other uh, issue I wanted to chat with you about, Richard, and by the way, we keep saying this all the time, this goes so fast, we could do a whole episode. We, 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 sh- we, we need to do an extended version and make a podcast of, of our conversation. But anyway, the, the story that I wanted to talk about uh, next uh, was kind of unexpected. It wasn't one of the uh, wasn't on my bingo card, or nor, nor a lot of people. Uh, the Supreme Court just on Friday agreed to review a politically explosive decision from Colorado's top court that found former President Donald Trump ineligible for the presidency and would leave him off the state's primary ballot. Uh, stepping into a high-stakes legal showdown that could have major ramifications, obviously, for the 2024 presidential election. Walk us through that a little bit, if you sure. could. So we talked about this a long time, a few months ago, yeah, and uh, we very kind of, briefly, yeah, because it was just at the district court level, yeah. and and I, I think I said at the time it was interesting, but it probably won't go anywhere, yeah. right? And so here we are, now it's going somewhere, um, which is yet another indication that I shouldn't predict the future, right? <laughs> um, but this, this case is based on the 14th Amendment, and a section of the 14th Amendment that was enacted after the Civil War, Section 3, that disqualified people who engaged in the Civil War who had previously been office holders from holding another office. And this was um, kind of pushed by the Northern Republicans to punish the um, the Southern Democrats in particular who had rebelled sure. during the Civil War. Sure. So uh, the idea was that, uh, or that the thing that's happened is there have been many groups around the country that have filed these various objections to President Trump's eligibility to run for office. Um, saying that he was ineligible because he had, in their words, engaged in insurrection, and therefore Section 3 would disqualify them. Just as it, and in their in their view, if he were 33 years old or if he was not a naturally born citizen, he would also be disqualified, yep. um, which are other requirements in the Constitution. So they said, similarly, this just disqualifies him. And it has raised a whole host of issues. I mean, there are so many issues in front of the Supreme Court on this, it's hard to even count. Um, But what happened in Colorado was a a district court judge said that President Trump did engage in insurrection, but that the section didn't actually mention the president, which they were right about. Um, It mentions all sorts of other office holders, um, a senator, a representative, an elector, um, or any office, civil or military, under the United States. So uh, the Supreme Court disagreed and said that he did engage in insurrection and that it would be ludicrous. The Colorado Supreme Court. The Colorado Supreme Court, excuse me, thank you. It would be ludicrous to say that the president wasn't an office, that somebody who engaged in insurrection can hold any, can't hold any office except the highest one. Um, And then, and so people thought that was interesting. And then the main secretary of state uh, came out and agreed with that decision and said that he would not be allowed on the main ballot. And, of course, other jurisdictions have made the exact opposite conclusion, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan and Minnesota and various rationales. So the Supreme Court has taken this up, and they have a whole host of things that they have to decide. Um, how would someone decide, who would decide if one ga- engaged in insurrection? Um, would they have to be criminally found or, or, or not? That was not the case in Colorado. Of course, he has not been found criminally liable for insurrection. In fact, that's not even a claim that's brought in the January 6th case of actual insurrection. Um, is the president even covered under this clause um, is kind of a first order decision they'll have to make. Um, they could get out of this that say 
we think Section 3 is great, but Congress has to enact a statute in order for it to become effective. And, and Congress takes, has not done so. And it takes a two-third uh, vote in Congress to, well, to do that. Is a that a right? little bit different, actually. It, oh, I'm it sorry. Does, no, it, it, Congress would have to enact something to uh, find someone, how, how to it. find some if someone is Got guilty it. of insurrection and therefore disqualified under Section 3. Got it. Um, the the two-thirds is actually the last sentence of this section that the court, uh, a court could say, well, he has been uh, he has been an insurrectionist and therefore is not eligible for the presidency. And Congress could overturn that okay. and remove that uh, what they call a disability under the under the um, Constitution could remove that disability with a two thirds vote. Yeah. So one of the more interesting commentators has said that they think the Supreme Court should find that Section 3 applies to President Trump. And for those who say, my gosh, the politics, the ballot box should decide this, say, well, Congress has a way to decide this. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Congress. Remove mm -hmm. the disability with a two-thirds mm -hmm. vote. So, I mean, there's all sorts of different ways this could play out over the next month or so. It's just fascinating. Because, yes, uh, according to my notes, uh, February 8th, uh, Trump said in a brief order that arguments will be held February 8th uh, before the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, so, Right, and that's a very fast briefing schedule. Um, so they will brief before then. That means they'll give their written arguments. Uh, and then February 8th, they'll have their oral arguments. And, you know, again, it's along that's those same lines we talked about. Uh, maybe by the end of February, we'll have a decision hmm. on that. Um, but, it, you know, I, I think, again, getting to first principles and optics of things, um, I think the Supreme, the, it could, cuts the other way uh, in favor of President Trump mm -hmm. on this one. Mm -hmm. um, from kind of a legal analysis perspective, I think it would be odd for uh, one Supreme Court or for a Secretary of State in Maine to make the determination of all the things that have to be found that he engaged right. in an insurrection and therefore should be disqualified to remove from the ballot. Yeah. Right. And then there's a the question of, well, maybe they should be on the ballot, but they just can't actually serve because, um, you know, that's part of the, the section as well. Wow. So all sorts of issues that they're wow. going to have to wade through. Well, uh, Richard, uh, our time's about up here. But uh, as always, I am so appreciative. I hope this is as valuable to our listeners as I, I'm told it is. And so just to cut through all of the, first of all, all of the political commentary and just get to uh, the meat of what what these cases are about so thank you well thanks for having me on yeah absolutely uh, real quick what's going on at the college new semester uh, yesterday was the first day of semester so of course it was a snow day so uh <laughs> we're starting off a new semester well um and uh we've just are looking forward to uh kind of bringing everybody back and doing the spring semester very good folks that's the show richard thanks so much thanks to mayor lyrian for joining us too uh go do good things we'll see you tomorrow